Well, today we are in 2 Timothy chapter 2, first two verses. 2 Timothy 2 verse 1 reads, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me, among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Let's pray. Lord, would you add your blessing to the reading, to the preaching, and to the hearing of your holy word. We thank you that it is powerful. It is inspired of God. It is an eternal word. It will never perish, just like you will never perish. So, Lord, uh, speak to us, and may we have ears that hear and hearts that are willing to believe and to do whatever we're called to believe and do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you like to watch football, you know that one uh, critical part of an offense is the running game. And there are lots of variables that contribute to that game, uh, to that part of the game. You need good blockers, you need good runners. But one thing that's often not thought about until there's a mishap is the handoff. Right? You need to make a good handoff. Um, some of us watched games yesterday and we saw that there was some fumbling going on in those games. But uh, it, it, the quarterback has to make a good handoff, but the, receive, the, the running back has to secure the ball when it's handed off to him. And uh, likewise, in the Christian faith, a good handoff is vital uh, with regard to passing on the faith. Timothy had been charged earlier in chapter 1, he had been charged to hold fast uh, the faith, the things that had been given to him, uh, the, the truths of the gospel. And now Paul urges Timothy to take it a step further, not only to secure it himself, but to pass it on securely to uh, others who in turn will be able to pass the truth along to others. Well, two points to the sermon today, very simple. First of all, be strong in God's grace. And secondly, Pass along the truth. So, first of all, Paul admonishes Timothy uh, to be strong in the grace. And this is preparation for point two. You will see that. Be strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Timothy would need that grace, that strength, in order to carry out the task of ministry. If uh, every Christian understands if he tries to do the will of God, every Christian understands, begins to understand his or her weakness. You realize you don't have the capability that you thought you did. Well, when you become a minister of the gospel, if that is God's call in your life, uh, you feel that times a hundred. Uh, you feel your weakness. Uh, if I seem confident up here, or if I seem confident as a pastor, uh, behind that... <laughs> Uh, sometimes confident look may be and is, in fact, a whole lot of weakness. It's the grace of God that Timothy needs. It's the grace of God that you and I need. Uh, so be strong in the grace 
uh, that is in Christ Jesus. This is familiar sounding language to us. We, we find it in Ephesians, Ephesians 6.10. Uh, Paul writes, the same apostle, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And so that verb in both, in both cases uh, is the same, same Greek verb uh, in dunamo, uh, like dynamite. And it's an imperative, it's a command, be strong. But it's in the passive tense. Uh, so be strong can sound like, you know, just buck up and find the strength. Just do it, you know. But that's not exactly what it is. Because it's a passive verb, it means that uh, the, the subject, in this case Timothy, is not doing the action, but he is a recipient of the action of this verb. Uh, and, of course, the one who's doing the action is God. Be strong means receive strength, Timothy. Be strengthened. Uh, and, and, and it says, and ultimately is saying that God must do the strengthening. It comes from on high, not from within ourselves. The Bible says, David said in the psalm, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our help is not in man. It's not in us. But how is, exactly is he to be strengthened? Verse 1, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It could be translated like the ESV puts it, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, Christ is the one who strengthens us. We're familiar with Philippians 4.13, uh, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So grace and strength from God uh, come only in and through and by Jesus uh, Jesus is the sole mediator between God and man. Uh, that's uh, also mentioned uh, in one of Paul's tem uh, letters to Timothy. And so you must go through Jesus to get to God. And after you have come to, uh, to God through Jesus for salvation, you go to him to get everything else from God. He's your, still your mediator, not just for saving grace, justifying grace, but for all things in life. He's the only connection between man and God. So if you're not looking to Jesus, you will not be strengthened. If you, your eyes are not on Jesus Christ, uh, and you're going to be continue in your weak state. So that's why Hebrews says, "Fix, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, when... Paul says to Timothy, be strengthened, be strong, and, and it's passive. We might think that we're entirely passive in the matter. But remember, uh, you know, it's not just let go and, and let God here. It is, there is something for us to do. Uh, and it's a little uh, tricky perhaps for us to think, but we have to go to Christ. We have to look to Him, uh, and we have to get this grace, this strength, uh, from him and the grace that's available in Jesus Christ comes to us through certain channels. Okay, we call that the means of grace. Um, and the larger catechism says, and the shorter says that uh, there there are means of grace, especially the word. The word is the primary means of grace. The word, sacraments, and prayer. Uh, these three channels or means of grace are made effectual by God. 
Uh, in his commentary on the larger catechism, Johannes Voss asked the question, well, is it necessary for us to make any effort ourselves to use the means of grace? It's kind of, you, you kind of know the answer to that question. Of course, to use the means of grace, you have to put forth some effort. He says, yes, we're not to wait for some special impulse, but to avail ourselves of the appointed means of grace immediately without delay, and continually. So there is something for us to do. We're passive in that we're being strengthened by God, but we're active in terms of availing ourselves of God's appointed means of grace. Just like when you uh, want a harvest of wheat or corn or something. Uh, The rain and the sunshine depend on God. Uh, God has to bring those. You can't do it. But if you don't plant the seed, if you don't hoe the weeds, if you don't care for this uh, grain that you have planted as it begins to grow, then uh, uh, there's going to be a problem. So, in other words, faith in the Holy Spirit is not an excuse for us to to be spiritually lazy and to think that we're going to be strengthened by doing nothing. Uh, by neglecting the appointed means of grace. No, we must make use of these means. It's Christ alone who strengthens us. But remember, uh, Christ strengthens us through certain channels, the means of grace. So be strong in the grace. That's you and I. We need to be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. We do that by looking to Jesus, by not taking our eyes off him, uh, by using his means that he's appointed for us in Scripture. And the reason Paul is urging Timothy again here in this context is because he needed strength to pass on the grace, uh, or pass on the truth to the next generation. And that's the second point today. Uh, we need to pass along the truth to faithful men. The things that you have heard from me, Paul said, among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Uh, So what things had Timothy heard from Paul? Remember uh, in chapter 1, verse 13, he says, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you heard from me. So the truths, the doctrines of the word of God that Paul had preached and taught to Timothy... That faith, once for all, delivered to the saints. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and of salvation. The way of life that believers should live. The pattern of sound words. Divinely revealed truth. All of these things are, were communicated by Paul to Timothy. Written down even, many of them, in scripture. So that Timothy was to take these things uh, that Paul had taught him. Not only to preserve them, not only to hold fast to them, uh, but to hand them down to other godly teachers who also could could repeat that process. So this is a never-ending, repeating cycle. Paul, I think, had in mind two things. First of all, to multiply disciples in his own generation. To spread the gospel in that way. To spread the truth by multiplication. But also he was concerned that the church survive into the future uh, beyond his own lifespan. Uh, and, and, and so 
Jesus, we know in Matthew 28 and in other places, gave the church the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. Every Christian is to be a disciple, a lifelong student of the Bible, a lifelong practitioner of uh, the Word of God. And so all Christians are disciples, and all Christians at some level, in some manner, are called to make disciples of others. Uh, That is, to evangelize the lost and then to encourage and instruct those who are saved. Uh, some are called to do this as ordained officers in the church, uh, as, as ministers of the gospel, like Paul and Timothy. Uh, and, and so Paul was asking Timothy to pass on the truth, especially to those who were leaders in the church who would faithfully guard it and then hand it off again to others who would repeat the process. So, so verse 2, I see, is, is advocating a long-term approach, a multi-generational approach, approach uh, to uh, teaching and preaching and spreading the truth. And I think too often in the church, especially in our in our day, uh, we think mainly in terms of short-term gains in the present moment. You know, we're kind of culturally, uh, in our culture, wants instant gratification, and we sort of want instant church today. And so in the church in America, our main goal has been, and this, and it's, we can see that there's something good about this, to get as many people converted or into the church as possible in as short a time as possible. And so if that's your goal, um, and, and, and partly that's, it, it, it should be part of our goal, but how do we achieve that? Uh, and sometimes I think the church is, has, has gotten the idea that uh, the end justifies the means. If the means, if, if the end is to get as many people saved as possible, then whatever we do, it doesn't matter. Uh, to get as many people into the church, to make a commitment, uh, then we do that thing. And, uh, and I think that uh, Jesus and the apostles, unfortunately, did not do, do things that way. <laughs> Uh, they didn't do things that way, and they didn't want us to do things that way. They took the long view of the growth of the kingdom of God. It starts like a little mustard seed. It's planted, and it grows, and it takes time, and it grows. And eventually, it, it's, it's a large plant that the birds of the air find a home in and so forth. Uh, it's like leaven. A little leaven is put into the bread, and slowly it permeates the whole loaf until it's all Leaven, so the kingdom is like that. And Jesus, how did he do ministry? Well, he chose 12 men, and he was with them day and night, teaching them uh, for three years. And yes, great crowds followed Jesus, but you know, Jesus didn't, that wasn't his purpose uh, to, to gain a large following on earth. In fact, when he died, he had around 500 people who could really be called his disciples. Uh, not that many when you consider that thousands were following him at one time, but most of them had turned away at some point. So Jesus spent most of his time training the twelve. He, he, he spent his time doing exactly what Paul is telling Timothy to do in this verse, verse 2. Uh, uh, so Jesus, he said, everything I learned from the Father, I make known to you. So he takes what God the Father gave him, and he communicated it to the twelve. And then the twelve, of course, in turn, were to communicate what they learned, pass that on to faithful men, so the church would grow and multiply. 
Uh, not instantly, but over time. Now, there are exceptions. We see that on the day of Pentecost. Right? There's 3,000 added at one time. That was a big deal. Uh, and then at another time, there were 5,000. So there were these moments uh, of big splash. But they are more or less the exception and not really the preferred method found in Scripture, which is slow, steady growth over time. Uh, there's lots of analogies I could think of, but one is this the question, okay, if I had a million dollars to give you right now, would you take it? Or would you take a penny a day, doubled every day for 30 days? Give you a penny. We'll double that every 30 days. Well, you know the answer to that question, right? Uh, it, it comes out to be about $5,368,000 if you take the penny option. It takes a little longer to get there. Um, you can have an instant church, 10,000 member church. Uh, would you rather have that or would you have a, rather have a slow and steady process of disciple making where God's people are built up and they pass on the faith uh, and make disciples until the Lord comes back? Well, um, again, there's a little of both uh, at times. Uh, and as we see in Scripture, it's a little both today in the church. But that commitment that we need uh, is outlined for us and urged on us today of disciple-making uh, in this passage. And it's not just about multiplication and numbers. It's really about uh, preserving faithfully the truth for every generation. Uh, and the focus of Scripture, um, you know, is on... Faithfulness, not success. God gives success sometimes, and sometimes he gives persecution, and uh, and things don't always go as well as we might want. And so we can't judge um, whether a person's faithful based only on success. It may be success is a sign of faithfulness. It may be that success is a sign of, of capitulating to the world and, and doing things that the world wants. Uh, but faithfulness itself is what God wants. And to be faithful is to be reliable, to be trustworthy. But it's interesting, you know, that, that phrase, faithful men, here. Um, it is a, a form of the Greek word for faith. It can also be translated uh, as believing men. Commit these truths to believing men. We need men, first of all, uh, in the church who actually believe the truth of the Word of God, who hold to the inerrancy of the Bible, who by faith accept that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. And one problem, a recurring problem in the church down through the ages has been a significant number of unbelieving and unconverted men in the ministry. When you have pastors, when you have teachers, when you have seminary professors who don't know the Lord, who are unbelieving, then you have a recipe for the demise of the church. If someone comes along and, and to you and claims to be a Christian, claims to be a minister, claims to be a, a teacher or just a Christian... And yet they deny the scriptures in certain areas. Uh, you know what we call that? That's unbelief. It's unbelief. And 
And that's exactly what happened in church history. Uh, eventually resulted, for example, in the apostasy of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, the men stopped teaching the scriptures. And instead they brought in ceremonies and superstitious rites and things. And, and then they began to teach that salvation is by faith and works, that you must contribute something to be saved. And people didn't have the Bible, weren't even allowed to read the Bible in their own language, so they couldn't test what was being taught them uh, by the standard of Scripture. And so, in fact, eventually even the priests became very ignorant of the Word of God, and certainly the people were ignorant. So instead of godly men multiplying godly disciples, what do you have? You have a recipe for ungodliness and unbelief. And how thankful we can be. Uh, as, as next Sunday is Reformation Sunday. We were reminded of what happened at the Reformation, what God did. And he, God did this wonderful thing, reforming the church by men like Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, Martin Bucer, Tyndale, John Knox, and uh, many others who were used by God to not only recover and secure the truths of the gospel, but begin to pass that on through biblical preaching and teaching. And it was a great revival. Uh, but we can also see about 200 years later, <clears throat> after the Reformation, for example, in America, in the colonies, uh, things began to uh, decline again in the church. And so God raised up other men like Jonathan Edwards, like George Whitfield, and another man, a Presbyterian named Gilbert Tennant. And Tennant, once uh, during the Great Awakening, uh, he preached a message titled "The Danger of an Unconverted Ministry." And you can imagine uh, that uh, such a message would have been controversial because he was saying a lot of the preachers that are occupying the pulpits today, don't even know Jesus. They haven't even been converted. He, he, <clears throat> he wrote in his sermon, it says, No one can expect God's blessing on their ministry if they're not called and sent of God into the ministry. And right reason will inform us how unfit instruments they are to carry out that work uh, they pretend to do. He, and he said, Is a blind man fit to be a guide? In a very dangerous place, is a dead man fit to bring life to others? Is a possessed man fit to cast out devils? An unconverted minister is like a man who would teach others to swim before he's learned himself. And so is drowned in the act and dies like a fool. Well, um, he was right on target. Uh, and, And some were convicted. Others just got mad at him. But the truth of God, you see, must be committed to people who believe, men who believe the Scriptures, not the unbeliever. So faith in the Bible is the Word of God. Faithfulness in passing it on. It's, it's, it is vital for the future health of the church of Jesus Christ and the growth of it. And it's not, a, it's not enough for each one of us to faithfully hold on to the truth. Uh, We've got to do what we can to ensure that sound doctrine is handed off to the next generation. We do that, first of all, in the church, uh, in the home, and then in the church. And then, of course, we we should do that, make sure that the seminaries, Christian colleges, are doing that. That's a challenge. 
because they tend to go off the rails after a while, especially uh, educational institutions. But um, uh, there are four generations listed in verse 2. There's Paul, there's Timothy, there's faithful men, and the ones that those faithful men will instruct. So uh, if there's someone who is teaching the word and they fumble the ball, they fumble the handoff, then the process is halted. Um, Most important that we have pastors and teachers in the church, uh, elders who are capable, reliable, trustworthy, believing men who are willing to train others uh, for the task of ministry, of the ministry of the word. You see, when, when we lay hands on someone and they're ordained to the ministry, uh, we are, we're, we're saying that they've been called of God, but we're also making a pledge that, that we have had our part in training them and make sure, and we believe that they're trained, that they're reliable, that they're capable men. And this is a big deal because in 1 Timothy 5, 22, Paul said to Timothy, he says, don't lay hands on anyone hastily nor share in other people's sins. And, and I think that's what happens sometimes. We, we say, we've got to have somebody to fill the slot. We need, a, we need more preachers. Let's, let's, you know, we rush someone along. Uh, that's unwise. Uh, never should we lay hands on men who don't believe the truth or who are, are wishy-washy. Maybe they're, they're wishy-washy because they need more time. Maybe they will never uh, begin to be... Uh, become solid and and believe the truth. We don't know. But if they're wishy-washy, if they're not ready, then they shouldn't be ordained. But, of course, at other levels, this applies to us in the family, in the home, uh, fathers, husbands, leaders in their homes to shepherd their wives and children. Uh, And and, uh, mature believers in the church need to pass on the truth to others who are less mature. So if, if you're young in the faith new in the faith, uh, then you need to seek out those who are older, who are wiser, and can teach you what they have learned. Again, one criticism that can be leveled against some of the more recent large churches uh, is that they tend to be made up almost exclusively of young people who um, are immature young Christians. There's nothing wrong with being an immature young Christian. But when you're only surrounded by other immature young Christians, that can be problematic. You see, the church needs men and women from the older generation. I like what Leviticus 19.32 says, because I'm turning gray myself. You shall, I've been turning gray for a long time. You shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Because God's designed it this way, that the older generation be respected and that, and that the younger generation look up to them and learn what they can from them. Now, not, not all older people are wise, but, but many are. Certainly in the church, they ought to be if they've been a Christian for, for a while. Uh, and what about women? Uh, women are not called to preach in the church. Here's another area where there's been a lot of compromise Uh, Women are not called to preach the word of God in the church. They're not called to teach men in the church. Again, we find this in Timothy, 1 Timothy. But 
Women do have a vital role in passing along the truth. Mothers to their children. Deuteronomy talks about, you know, you teach the, the truths of God as you walk by the way, as you, as you raise your children. And, uh, and then older women in Titus are called to teach younger women. Older women likewise, that they may be rep- teach the younger, that they may be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, to admonish the young women to love their husbands, love their children, to be discreet, and on and on it goes. So um, women have a, a vital role in the church. But the point is that there is a gospel torch. There is a gospel baton, if you want to call it a gospel football. This football needs to be handed off to other generations. It's been placed in our hands. What are we going to do? Are we going to drop the ball? Are we going to secure it and then securely pass it on? That's the, that's what our calling is. And um, we build relationships, you see. We need to build relationships with people and share what we learn with them and then learn from others and train, especially train Faithful men in the congregation that God might be calling to leadership to pass along the faith after you and I are long gone. The future of the church depends on these things. And Paul says we do this in the presence of many witnesses. And there's controversy about uh, or difficulty about what Paul really means there, but uh, Patrick Fairbairn in his commentary, Scottish commentator, he said these were no private communications. In other words, no secret doctrine delivered in a corner. These were the great things which concern the salvation of men and the glory of God. Therefore, things which all ears should hear and which should be committed to faithful men and every particular church. So the word of God is, is preached week in and week out in our church. And you're all witnesses of it. Uh, if it's not being preached, you'll witness against the one who is preaching and teaching that word. But the church is in need of faithful men and women now more than ever. And we need to pray that God will raise them up and uh, that a new generation of faithful believers who will pass on the faith to others uh, will uh, be brought about. Let us pray. Father, as as we reflect on these words, they are really simple. There's, it's not rocket science, and yet we are, um, we find ourselves wanting to go a different way, the way of the world.